You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. All right, I know the calendar is flipped to 2022, but on today's show, we will look back at the best of the 2021 Netflix films as we will do our top five lists. And to help me do that, we will bring back Shane Beauregard of Media Mosh. Welcome back, sir. Glad to have you on. Always glad to be on, sir. And I will let you know, best is relative. So keep that in mind, all you listeners <laughs> out there. What do you mean, man? You saying uh, maybe not a good year? What what do you what do you aim well, at there? Kind of genre that I like to swim in or, or work around in. You're a little more highbrow than I am, so I'm interested to hear your list compared to mine. So you're gonna How hear. How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, I know my lane and I try to stay in it. Well, as we've talked about, because we've kind of like shared the list and done everything uh, here, like we kind of you and I have very similar taste at least on the stuff that is within both of our lanes i found it very interesting and we'll obviously get to our list in a minute of like you know even your honorable mentions like dips your toe into into the the awardsy stuff so i'm like okay at least he's not like fully checked out that's good um i also yeah i understand i'm gonna be a little more artsy what i feel like shane is even though i do a netflix podcast i feel like that somewhere all the people who actually watch Netflix for Netflix hate me, like hate this podcast. They must hate it so much. They're like, why is he being so <laughs> serious about Netflix movies? And it's like, you know, I feel like sometimes maybe just people just like, yeah, I just want to, I just want to watch a Sandra Bullock under my covers on my couch on a Sunday and not have to worry about whether Andrew's going to shit on it on a Monday. So like, <laughs> Yeah, like I feel like people are just very simple. They like what they like. And so I feel like maybe you're more actually the heartbeat of the average like Netflix user. And I'm just a piece of crap. I'm just like this guy who just comes in trying to put his stamp on things. But hopefully, obviously people listen to this podcast, so I'm being a little more self-deprecating than I should. But, you know, I feel like you're like the man's man, like you're the true heartbeat of Netflix. Well, I appreciate this, sir. And the way you just worded that makes me feel a whole lot better. So I do feel better <laughs> about myself. And when we go into our list, you're going to hear a couple of phrases. I'm just going to, it's just going to be repeat. Like I'm just going to repeat it is stylistic. Yeah. You, you'll get it. Like there's a certain just yeah. flow to my movies. So just be prepared people. Yeah, exactly. So before we get into our actual list though, like, so you obviously do a podcast uh, of your own media mosh where like you're covering all different movies, not just Netflix. You cover a lot of Netflix, and obviously you're on this podcast a lot. So before we get into the Netflix uh, section at all, like, how do you feel about this movie year in general? Like, whether that includes Netflix or not, like, it's a much different year, but a lot of the same kind of stuff where, like, you know, oh, well, COVID affected this thing, or, you know, this movie that I was looking forward to got pushed back. Shout out to Top Gun Maverick, which I have a popcorn tin from like a year and a half ago now, and the movie's still not coming out anytime soon. Um, but, you know, what did you feel about the year overall? Oh, honestly, a little disappointed. Um, mm. Coming off the COVID year, I was expecting the, the releases that got pushed back. I was looking forward to some of them, and you put a gun in my head right now, outside of the Netflix stuff that we're going to talk about, I couldn't really give you a top five that I saw in the theater or was theater quality. There's, you know, a couple of good action mm. movies out there, but as a whole, I, 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 I was a little let down. I was expecting a little more from not only Netflix, but like, you know, Amazon Prime and the movie, you know, the theatrical <laughs> releases. It just, uh, most of the stuff just kind of fell flat. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think when I characterize it to most people, I kind of feel like this is a year full of like B's and B pluses, and I'm not really like in a lot of A's right now. Um, now it's a it's a deep year. I think there's a lot of good. Like, I I, I keep a top twenty five of the year on my letterbox, and I feel like I've kicked out 
especially recently, a bunch of very solid movies out of my top 25, even though I think they were very good to start. So, like, I think it's a deep year in terms of that. But, yeah, it's it's been... It's, it's a little disappointing. And you know what happens? Because especially, you know, like a lot of the popcorn movies, I think, really kind of I soured on a little bit. And I think that's part of it. Like where, you know, maybe I like uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and I liked two thirds of Shang-Chi. But like overall, it's like, did Marvel have a very good year? And they like kind of own a lot of my nerdy part of my body. Eh. It was fine, but it's not like these A-plus years they've maybe had more recently. And then, you know, for the rest of the pack, you know, uh, the awards stuff, there's a decent amount of, uh, of solid awards films. But, you know, is it as good as, say, two years ago? No. Uh, we had a great year in 2019. So, like, uh, it, it's tough. It's, I think we're still, you know, the studios are still adjusting. We're adjusting as audiences. And, you know, even some of the things that I looked forward to, like, a lot uh, that were just kind of, like, just okay. Like, speaking of, uh, I just watched uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife last night, and I was like, okay. That was, that, that was indeed a movie. Um, but it, it didn't work for me. I know a lot of people are like, I had friends go, I, I was crying. Like I was really into it. I'm like, okay, I'm glad that worked for you, man. It just didn't, it just didn't get there. So yes, sir. Uh, real quick. And I know this isn't your, your thing. Cause you don't really get into the Netflix shows, but I will say as far as show wise, I thought it was a better year this year than it was last year. Like just across the board on every network, like you're talking about the Marvel movies and I was make this real brief i yeah. thought their streaming shows kick kick series but were really good like all of them um, i liked loki and hawkeye i thought they ended strong i thought the first couple were okay right but the netflix shows i i could give you like you know give me five minutes i could whip up a top 10 netflix shows right off the bat i thought it was a very strong year at least in fresh in my mind if i think about it quickly i thought they had a better show year than a movie yeah. year like, I still don't know where that Chris Hemsworth movie's at. <laughs> yeah, Escape from Spiderhead has now become this hilarious football that I have in my head at all times. Like, that's coming out uh, three years from now. Because uh, I don't know what's going on with that movie. And they stopped putting uh, release dates on it. And it was, it's amazing. Um, not to get too far into, like, what I'm probably going to end up previewing to come. But, like, 2022 kind of you know, is a different pivot for Netflix. And I feel like 2021 was the start of it where, you know, 2021, they, you remember that sizzle reel they had in the beginning of the year where it's like, we're going to have a new movie every week and like this big thing. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But man, do you need to like that? I mean, it's great for me. It's great for content for, for this podcast for sure. But man, is it kind of, Nothing ends up being very special for them. And I think they learn from like how successful Disney and HBO Max had for their year where it's like, oh, no, we have these big tentpole things once every few weeks. Or if one thing ends, another, you know, like a sh big show ends, we know that's going to be occupied for a few weeks. Then we'll get you to stay on for the next one that starts up like the week after or the week after that. So I think they need to start planning maybe these things better. And I think that's what you're going to see in 2022. And if I'm already looking at the next couple months as far as movies for Netflix are concerned, not a whole lot. And it's, and it's not this every week thing, you know, or if they do, it's like a lot of international ones, which maybe we're not going to cover or, you know. It's a very interesting year thus far where they haven't been like, hey, you know, here's the release dates for everything for the next six months. It's like, no, 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 they're not, they're not doing that right now. So it's it's very different, and it's a little scary when you're a podcast right. covering just Netflix movies. Um, but in the interim, like I told you off air, I'm watching Cobra Kai and enjoying it right now. So I'll I'll stay with that, and I'm sure you would have said like Squid Game and all these other things that a lot of people had fun with. You know, mit, uh, the their miniseries continue to kick ass. Um, you know, so it's they know what they're doing, 
and they'll spread it around. <laughs> I'm just concerned for my own podcast here and what we do here. So, but we'll get there. There's a lot of stuff still to come this year that, uh, wow. Uh, there could be some real heavy hitters that we'll talk on our, probably our state of the union episode coming up, not too, uh, far off from now, but what did you think about the Netflix year? Cause I mean, they keep having this, you know, uh, at the end of the year, you're like, all right, cool. They have a lot of uh, award nominations, they, and they seem to be doing quite well with certain movies. We'll probably talk about a bunch of them. Um, but overall, 2020 was hard. They had a big year with like Extraction at one point, or Defy Bloods was like this big moment. And then they had a lot of uh, award stuff towards the end of the year and a pretty decent Halloween horror uh, area too. What did you think about how this one shook out uh well like you like we discussed before i think it was a little up and down there were some movies that i was really looking forward to uh most recently i was looking forward to the holly berry bruised movie mm. um, i thought that was very mediocre that kind of let me down a little bit yeah the new sandra bullock movie eh, you know let down yeah. again you know yeah. there were a couple surprises i thought action wise i thought that's where they kind of shine and we'll get into the more high caliber artsy films which i did watch several of those but <laughs> for some of the action pieces i i really enjoyed there's one movie on my list that i didn't think i'd like at all and is in my top five but i just thought it was an uneven year overall except for they did have some nice action in there they did have a, a good halloween season i thought for the most part um but a little just a little disappointed this year compared to last year yeah i thought you know as always expected you know well, actually, I should say it's a bit uneven because they started the year where they had some extra kind of awards films that kind of more ended up being in the 2020 conversation than the 2021 conversation. So it got kind of delayed in terms of how I feel about this year overall, because if you take into account like movies like uh, Malcolm and Marie, Pieces of a Woman, White Tiger, The Dig, like these movies that ended up in the awards conversation of, you know, the 2021 uh, Oscars and stuff instead of the 2022 that we're going to have coming up soon. Like, it's very different when you think of it that way, like this long, long year. But if you count it almost like take those movies out of the equation because they kind of are part of the 2020 package, like it's a very different year and a lot of the, the big tentpole stuff uh, maybe like as far as like some of the actioners, like I'm staring at you red notice where I thought that was, you know, a big uh, thing that just didn't materialize, even though they're going to claim it's a big success. A lot of people watched it and I totally get it. Um, but to a man, like I don't know a person who like was like, yeah, the movie kicked ass. Like I, I know none, zero. Um, so uh, obviously, you hope for better coming up in 2022 as far as that's concerned. Uh, and a lot of the action stuff in general, like we thought, you know, you know, hey, it's a Jason Momoa movie. No, not very good at all. Um, hey, John David Washington has like this cool kind of almost like 70s thriller kind of uh, vibe to it. Didn't care for it. Uh, you know, like August in general was like Death Valley. <laughs> like it was bad. Um, and even into September, it wasn't that great. And then we were hoping for more out of the Halloween season, the horror uh, October season. It was fine, but it wasn't anything great. Um, there are some highlights that, again, we're going to go over uh, in the top five. But I feel like there was like kind of like a month or like two months in between like big things that I truly enjoyed. So, you know, and I think the last quarter because of all the awards films did a lot better, but man, it felt like every, like maybe once a month I was like, all right, that's the one, you know, like we get like an employee of the month. I should do that next time where it's like an employee <laughs> of the month for each month. Um, but yeah, very odd year. And I think it's, you know, very COVID related. Because either these movies they they either acquired or that they produced were made during COVID. So they either were like delayed or they kind of didn't have a straightforward production. You know, Red Notice, uh, one of the big things that people complained about that one was, hey, we got all these exotic locales that they shot 
at none of them. <laughs> it was all in a green screen in Georgia. You know what I mean? So it's kind of an odd year because we're still being affected, even though 2020 felt like we were the most affected. But th- we didn't know how bad production schedules of making new things was going to be affected. So, Because Netflix, if you remember, like 2020, they just kept throwing stuff out left and right. They had all these movies. So I think 2021 is where it caught up with them a little bit, even though they <laughs> produced so many movies in, in 2021. And from a lot of the things I hear, that their strategy might change to where it's more you know, quality over quantity uh, going forward. So we'll see if that holds up. Is that something that you would hope for from them? Actually, I'm more of a quantity guy. Like, you know, I think one of the problems is give me more Frank Grillo. There is no Frank Grillo True. Netflix originals. No, I, I kid, but <laughs> I do like some quality thrown in there. But I do like, I don't know, I just like to have a lot of quantity in there sometimes over the quality. Like with the Halloween stuff. Yeah. Like I thought there was a lot of, like there was, they put a lot out. But there was like yeah. one or two quality films and the rest were like, eh, okay, that was the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm weird that yeah. way. You know, like, eh, give me the USA <laughs> Up All Night movies, and I'm happy with those. Yeah, I think they need to really, like, pick a lane in terms of, like, what they're good at or, like, maybe lock in with more people that they can trust instead of maybe giving all these first-time directors all the time. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to, uh, to see how that shakes out. Um, and, of course, I have to mention, because you brought it up, I, I'm sure you're very proud of me that I watched not only Boss Level, but also Cop Shop in my quarantine. So, you know, I try I try to please you, man. I try I try to, you know, my work wife over here, I'm trying to, to make you on my side. See, you you appreciated some awards movies. I'm over here c- catching up on Frank Grillo. We are a perfect pair, man. I love it. Love to see it. Um, but let's take a break. And then when we come back, We'll do our top five list of Netflix films of 2021. Stick around. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies in their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get to what the people want, right, Shane? Let's get to our top five of 2021 we didn't do this before or i've haven't done i've been doing this podcast for for three years now and and we haven't done a like kind of end of the year capper i kind of like it you know especially you know it's a like we mentioned it's a very up and down year but i could have made a top 10 and still been like pretty good i think um with stuff that i would have been really strong so when we say these top fives especially i've watched god maybe 60 to 70 Netflix films this year, maybe, maybe more. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. When you're talking about more than one a week numbers, it's like Christ. Um, (laughs) And that doesn't count from like when we did stuff where, you know, like you and I did the international crime movies or whatever, and we're watching stuff from like a year prior or the year before that. So piled it on as always on this podcast. So, Let's get to it, Shane. Let's get to your number five of 2021 Netflix movies. You know, my number five, and I would normally push this a little higher, but I'll explain it in a second, is uh, The Mitchells versus The Machines. I rewatched this recently. I thought it's a fun family movie. I have an 11-year-old daughter. It was very relatable to me with these kids being stuck with their technology and the old school parents, and you have the daughter who's going through some things and her parents don't understand her. I thought it was very relatable. I thought the characters were layered. 
the animation was great, uh, great storytelling. It's just a feel good movie. Um, the only re- the only reason it's not a little higher on my list is I have trouble pushing animated films up into my top three, which I know is kind of weird. It's just a thing for me. Also, right. I-, I love the, the uh, voice actors, Maya Rudolph, Olivia Coleman. Just a great overall family movie. One of the best of the year. Absolutely. I totally agree because uh, that is my number two. Um, and I, I thought very highly of this. When, when I was talking about before where there was like lulls in the season of, uh, or of this year where it felt like we were in a dip, this movie came out in like the early spring and just like blew the doors off for me because I thought, you know, not only was Netflix in a lull around that time, I thought a lot of the, like the movie uh, industry as a whole was kind of like still searching you know, still trying to get their stuff together, trying to get schedules right because of COVID. And this movie came along at the right time for me and just knocked my socks off. Lord and Miller, I thought they do great work, you know, Into the Spider-Verse, Lego Movie, uh, and even like their their uh, non-animated stuff like 21 Jump Street is just like amazing. So to me, these guys are at the top of their game. This was a, an acquisition from Sony, which if you want to talk about things that really worked this year, they got bailed out by that. Like that Sony deal did gangbusters for them between, you know, that Wish Dragon, Vivo, like when they needed to bulk up on on family stuff uh, for this year, they got bailed out by that Sony deal uh, big time. Yeah, smart. And, and this one in particular, because it's going to put them in the the running for best animated feature of the year uh, when it comes to Oscar time. Yeah. Are they going to have tough competition from uh, Disney and Pixar? They always will. Right. But this one, I think for the first time in a long time, I, I like this better than Encanto Luca, like all the other fair. This was my type of animated film for the year. And that's why it was my number two. Um, My number five is, uh, as far as like rules for everybody, uh, I mentioned one of them up top where it's like we weren't going to cover uh, the awards films uh, that, you know, bled into 2021 that were part of the awards race. So no Malcolm and Marie, Piece of the Woman, White Tiger, etc. But one of the other rules in this dojo <laughs> is the Fear Street films are one movie. Um, so to me, number five is the Fear Street trilogy. And Man, again, right time, right everything. Like, I thought, uh, again, the summer, it peaked around this time. I think we had, I think uh, the Fear Street Children was on, uh, Blood Red Sky came out. There was a bunch of, like, fun stuff that just came out right in the middle of the summer. And this one, you know, it was it was just a good time. Like, every week, uh, having Scary Larry come on and do each episode, it felt like we were you know, kind of almost breaking down TV, but that's kind of a slap in the face when you think about how each of these films, even though they kind of rely on each other, they're very much individual movies, especially the first two. Um, and I think, you know, the the best one of them all is the 1978 one. I think you and I agree on that one, right? Right. Um, and that was, uh, you know, Emily Rudd and Sadie Sink in that movie were so good, and that definitely fits into my wheelhouse of what type of horror movies I was raised on, and and um, I think, you know, it, it just it worked so well. Uh, a lot of people love the soundtracks. A lot of people love, you know, the fact that they were, were led like female led and uh, you know LGBTQ led, and you know, it definitely. Uh, you know, tried to be uh, this unique setup that was more modern, but with a lot of throwbacks to the earlier decades and and the the type of horror genre movies those were in those decades. Um, I, I felt it was really impressive, um, and I think it's a franchise that could still go forward, whether it uh, keeps on with the current story or repeats the trilogy framework it started with. So, excellent stuff, and and really peaked up my summer. I thought the same thing. I, I, I'm going to echo what you just said, uh, because just like uh, my number five is your number two, <laughs> your number, my number two. Now, yeah. uh, when we did go over the rules for, for the dojo today, 
If, <laughs> if, if we had to break them up, only one would have made my top five list. That was 1978. The other one would have been an honorable mention was 94 and 1666 would have never made my list. <clears throat> right. But I think when you put them flush uh, movie to movie to movie, I think that's why I got it as high as it does. Cause again, I think it works because of the different decades. They tell the story. Every movie feels different, but can't work on its own. Uh, and again, with the soundtrack and nostalgia, uh, just the old school kind of horror slasher camp. Like it just, like you said, every movie had like a different type of like horror genre to it. And it was just really enjoyable. And like you said, for three weeks, I had something to look forward to every Friday night, and I just thought that I wish they would continue this as a series. I would have no problem with it. Just whatever you want to change, even if you want to use some of the same actresses and actors, I'm I'm down with it. Whatever they want to do with this series, I'm good. It was a good time for me. That was my number two. Yeah, absolutely, man. It, it was a great time, and like I said, you know, Mitchell's versus the Machines kind of peaked up my early spring and this one kind of saved midsummer because definitely it backslid a little bit as we got into the fall so you know definitely thankful for the fear street trilogy and it was even cooler when we got to do connecticut horror fest jordan di natale who was on this podcast was there so and i got to kind of view through her instagram kind of like the fandom across the country you know going to different horror conventions and seeing it go that's awesome that that is what I hoped for this. I, I for how big Netflix is, fandom needs to be a bigger thing in their in their core, and I think that uh, was very nice to see, and it really was a highlight of my year uh, covering that type of stuff. Uh, you're number four, sir. Where do you land? Oh, this is one I did not think would make my list, but when I like trudged through everything I saw for the year, this was the more I guess uh, come out of nowhere I, 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 movies for me was army of thieves <clears throat> mm. is my number four uh based off army of dead i didn't think i'd like this i saw the trailer i had some hope for it because it's a different tone obviously it's a different type of movie uh but what really made the movie for me and i'm not gonna even try to pronounce his real name i'll go by <laughs> is Dieter, who directed this and stars in this and it's his charisma it's his personality it's how fun much fun I had following this guy through this movie. It's his chemistry with uh, Gwendolyn. Um, I like their kind of love dynamic. It was just a fun stylistic movie. With lots of chemistry uh, between the uh, the actors. I thought, yes, it was kind of formulaic. It you know a lot of stereotypical things with the heist aspects of the movie. But I did like how you know he had to go through the different safes and every safe was different and harder. Like I just it all. I just really had a good time with this movie. It's shocking. And I would love to see a little more of this character. Yeah, it'll be interesting if they do anything going forward with that that, you know, still ties into the Army of the Dead. Of course, this was a prequel because we kind of know where Army of the Dead landed for the Dieter character and everything else. And now we're seeing, you know, maybe there's some complicated stuff. Maybe this goes on. Maybe it doesn't. And, you know, you're going to see all that coming forward because there's a bunch of Snyder stuff all in the pipeline uh, coming up, uh, not just Army of the Dead, but even more. He's got a ton of projects. But, yeah, man, this was a movie that I had fun with. I agree with you. Like, I think it's probably a, a more enjoyable film than Army of the Dead. Uh, it's not in my top five, but it was one of those movies that I was, like, surprised that was, I had a good time with, you know, because – you know, I saw Army of the Dead in theaters and it, you know, it was fine. You know, right. there's some aspects of it that are there, but the story isn't quite there. And I knew it was going to be the same writer, uh, Shay Hatton, uh, if I'm not mistaken about his name there, that he would be writing this and basically every other <laughs> Army of the Dead thing going forward. So I was like, okay, all right, well, we'll hope for the best. And this one, yeah. There's just a lot of fun crime stuff here. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the safe cracking effects, and he's very humorous, too. There's a lot to like, um, but just doesn't make my my top five there. Um, my number four is a movie that you, if you're into the awards game, you've probably heard a million times. 
Um, and that movie is The Power of the Dog. Um, for some people, they're going to be like, wow, you only had this at number four. Isn't it possibly going to win Best Picture? Yeah, it might. Um, it's also a movie that I saw at New York Film Festival with uh, Shane and ours, uh mutual friend, Mr. Chris Fidel of Arguing With Myself, as Shane's wearing his hat right now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if you I'm correct, saying that sir. correctly. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, all the stars were there at the screening. You got to see Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Cody Smith-McPhee, and Jane Campion, the writer-director, was there. You know, it, it was a very strong first watch. I remember walking back to the train with Chris, like kind of going over every detail and why I liked it. And, uh, you know, it was it, it, it's got an excellent twist to it. So it's much better upon first watch, uh, maybe a little lesser as it goes. That's why I think this is number four for me. Um, but, yeah, love the theme, uh, the themes on here with, you know, a lot of stuff about gaslighting control masculinity grieving like uh, the whole cast is terrific um and they are now getting honored left and right from the critical bodies so you know you're gonna see a lot more from this cumberbatch still has a very strong case even with his loss last night i guess you could say loss you know for whatever people believe in the golden globes anymore um but he lost to will smith at the golden globes last night for best actor in a drama um so, but Campion, Jane Campion seems to be locked in for director and adapted screenplay nominations. And there could be a whole bunch of other stuff between cinematography and of course, best picture. So this movie's well created, excellent first watch. Um, you know, I don't know how well it works in subsequent watches, but it definitely grabbed me that first time. And to honor that, I put it at my number four. I, uh, I agree with everything you said. And I, a pat in the back for actually watching this movie. No, I'm kidding. See, I do <laughs> dip my toes into different genres. And yeah. uh, this, I found this movie, it pulled me in. It, it's a very slow burn to st- that it kind of like slowly builds, especially like the second half on when, when Plemons' character brings Dunst's character back to the ranch. That's where everything yeah. kind of like ranches up a little bit. But man, I think from top to bottom was just <clears throat> fantastic in this movie. And it just draws yeah. you in. And it, it, it just, it's a powerful film and like everything you were talking about masculinity and just what it means to be a man, all kinds of things. But to watch like Cumberbatch's character break down Dunst's character throughout was kind of hard to watch. And then yeah. what had me was the last, the last act of this movie, which really gets you thinking. And the more I sat in this movie, I was like, man, that was, that was pretty good. And it's like, oh, why? Like you start to like explore the different motives of certain yeah. characters the reason why I had it on an honorable mention for me is this, I don't think it's something I want to sit through and watch again. Sure. And honestly, that happens a lot with awards films. I can appreciate them and then never want to watch them again. Roma is a perfect example. I oh. thought that movie is like an excellent creation. And there are certain scenes in there that I'd still like shudder to think about. So, you know, is it really good? Sure. I think power of the dog is obviously more palpable and and an easier watch than Roma is. But at the same time, I think I wonder that if this award season, it's going to get treated very similarly, Um, you know, where I think a lot of people will appreciate this movie, but will people be like running to go give it best picture? I don't know yet. I, I still need to see more proof of that. So we'll see. We'll talk a million times about it uh, going forward as the award season comes through. Um, so Shane, what is your number three? My number three is one of the most recent movies. I forgot exactly what month this came out with. It's like the, towards the tail end. And that is the harder they fall. Um, yeah. I just like good revenge movies. Pair it with like a modern kind of West Western type. And I say modern because they throw modern music into this movie, which may throw you off a little bit. That was the only thing that seemed that didn't kind of fit at, at times. But for me, what nails it, it, it has like Tarantino flair to it. I was thinking Django Unchained. I was thinking like very influenced by Tarantino. I thought the dialogue, I thought it was well written. And and between Jonathan Majors and Idris Elba, Regina King, Zatsy Beat, like uh, Lakeith Stanton, you could go on and on. This was a great cast, a little long in the tooth, but mm. it was a very enjoyable ride for me. Again, I think it's because it had that Tarantino flair in a Western and a revenge flick cast. I, that's falls at number three for me yeah super strong start to that movie uh especially once you give me a an excellent jay-z song over the opening credits after you have 
like a bloodbath to start. You know, it, 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 you got me. I feel like that cast, like you said, is, is really the best stuff. There are some scenes that are absolutely amazing, especially with Idris Elba's uh, group, like the train uh, scene. There's like a bunch of great stuff. I thought it lost its way a little bit towards the end. That's why it's not on my list. Um, but, you know, man, uh, it, this was one that I had circled back when we did the the State of the Union one for the previous year. I was like, this could be the one that might be my favorite of the year. So I was a little let down by it, um, but there are definitely a lot of things to like with it. I understand people who like it a lot. And for, all, you know, seeing critical bodies all, all throughout the, the season now, giving it kind of these best ensemble awards, you can't beat the cast. It, it's insane to not like at least a few people in this movie. There's even people who weren't on that main, like, holy crap cast, like where it's like these all-stars. There's other people that go deep, deep, where I was just like, oh, I didn't know this person was going to be in this movie, and I really liked them. So definitely a lot uh, of good stuff there, good gunplay, you know, a lot of cool stuff there, but just missed out uh, on my list for that one. My number three is a movie we covered just last week, uh, The Lost Daughter. Um, And again, another tough awards movie that is a kind of a slow burn, a little more meandering, a little more uh, atmospheric. And I said it uh, on the podcast last week, that's usually a movie that loses me. It's usually a movie that I don't usually enjoy that much. I, I more appreciate those than enjoy them. And for some reason, this one locked right in. I thought uh, how they treat uh, kind of like a discussion that never happens in terms of uh, the identity of women outside of motherhood, uh, how you know people are not cut out for it, or sometimes they want to live a broader life than just being defined by motherhood and why we criticize them, but then let men off the hook for being crappy fathers. It's it's an interesting discussion all the way around. It's a it's a tough character for Olivia Coleman to play, um, and she's right in the thick of uh, best actress for that. And I I would co-sign that one. A lot of great things in this movie for the fact that nobody would probably want to sign up maybe for this character, unless you truly believe in the themes of this movie. And I absolutely appreciate it. And especially, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal, this is her first movie. And I saw a short that she did for Netflix of homemade series that I wasn't impressed by. So I didn't know what to expect. And boy, was I surprised how much I liked this movie. Uh, So that's my number three. Okay, full transparency. I've heard you talk about this movie. I just didn't have not gotten around to watch this movie yet. So I'm just going to go based on what you say. And honestly, it'd be one of those movies I think I would appreciate, uh, much like The Power of the Dog, but I don't think I would be able to rewatch it again. But I will get yeah. around to watch, and I just I'm, I just haven't didn't get time to watch your number three. Yeah, no, I, it's a movie I straight up don't think you're going to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> if I know you and I know how it goes, I would be shocked. But again, I didn't think you'd like Power of the Dog. And to have it on your honorable mentions, uh, I'm actually keen on what you might think about it. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, so, Shane, give us your number two. My number two. Oh, wait, is... your number two was Fear Street, right? Yeah, it's Fear, the Fear Street series. We already talked about this series. Um, nothing really more to add to it than we already talked about at the top. Yeah, and same here. Obviously, we flip-flopped our twos and fives, so my two is Mitchells versus the Machines, which we covered. So this is an interesting one. Uh, you and I, when we first gave each other's lists, I found it very funny that we flip-flopped our twos and fives, but I also got tickled that both of our number ones are not on our lists at all. So uh, I was very interested uh, to see this. Your number one, sir, is? Is Gunpowder Milkshake. I know. Hey. Have me on, Andrew. I <laughs> absolutely love this movie. I put it, my cards on the table right now. Sucker for female-led cat like action movies. I, I'm just a sucker for. Like, and yet, on, Kate is not even on your honorable mentions. Yeah, uh, you know it's funny. We'll we'll circle back to that in a second. Um, okay, but yeah. So when this movie came out, obviously, every whoever's seen it, you have the John Wick reminders. It's colorful. It's stylish. I thought Karen Gillan did a great job actually leading this cast. 
Um, you have Carla, oh, one of my favorites, Cugino, Lena Headley, uh, Michelle, terrific action, and some funny scenes in Paul Giamatti, who was, eh, it was okay. But what I liked, again, is the, the uh, action. I liked the John atmosphere, along with, the, like, the whole Artemis uh, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And what I really liked about this is the foundation they set for f- hopefully future or prequel movies to this. I just think it, it did a really good job of setting up a world, which I want to know more about. Yeah, I totally agree. Listen, I was in the tank for this movie. And if I'm, and if maybe Fear Street wasn't counted as one, maybe it sneaks in. Uh, it would have been in that conversation maybe. But definitely a movie that I liked a lot more than most people when it came out where like, when we did our episode on it, I was like getting shit on a little bit. Like they're like, wow, dude, calm down about this movie. But I will say this is one a, yeah, I got to, I got the luxury of speaking to the writer director and we have an interview with him. Navot Papashato. Like he is a very big cinephile. He was excellent to talk to and hearing how he laid everything out for this movie I was very impressed, and I liked previous films he's done, too. Um, and don't even just ask me. Quentin Tarantino talks about this guy, too. Loves him to death. Um, so, you know, this is a movie that I think, as far as, like, if I could take, like, a part of a movie and put it to number one, I would say this movie, once Lena Hetty comes back into the movie full force and goes forward from there, it's like the whole most of the second half of the movie, that movie is dope. That like the action sequences in the library, like that was some of the best action stuff I've seen not only all year, but like in a long time. Um and, and my god, between that uh nobody which came out earlier in the year, there's a bunch of like really cool action stuff, but this one, those particular sequences I loved. I loved to death. Right, I agree with you like the action Scenes in the li- in the library. I think the song was the Janis Joplin song when everything went down with Carla. I Cucino, think so. You know, I think that's right. Which yeah. I wish they had more of her. Um, and listen, I get it, man. This this more style than substance. I'm not an idiot, right? I, so I get it. <laughs> uh-huh. But I think when it w- the way I break down, it just gave me a little insight. Is like rewatchability is a huge factor for me and how I rank some of these. So I-, I could just see myself watching this thing like once a month or once every, you know five, six weeks and still yeah. enjoy it as much as the first time. And, you know, yeah. hopefully catch on to some new things. So, yeah, I get it. Like, I <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm defending myself a little bit because I understand, like, The Power <laughs> of the Dog is is clearly a better movie than Gunpowder Milkshake. Sure. But for me, just it, it hit all it hit all my butt. So that I could that's why it's it's my number one. Hey, man, but that's the beauty of Netflix. Like, you know, you get like your genre films, you get like you know, teenage romances, you get, you know, horror movies all over the place. And then bam, you get a awards movies at the end of the year. So, you know, it goes up and down all over the place, man. They, they cover a lot of bases. And I think that's what is illustrated in both our lists and what we actually appreciate about Netflix overall. Um, and rewatchability, I'm glad you brought that up because my number one, I said on the episode for this movie, this I think is to me one of, if not the most re- rewatchable good films Netflix has ever made, and that is Tick Tick Boom. Now I understand that a lot of people maybe not into musicals, or they may not be into how Lin-Manuel Miranda does stuff, or maybe they hate the sight of Andrew Garfield. I don't know. But I will tell you that this movie, I'm not the biggest Andrew Garfield fan. I have never seen Hamilton. I don't like the musical Rent, uh, which Jonathan Larson is mostly known for, who is the central character of this whole thing. And yet... I loved this movie. I absolutely adored it. The music, uh, I got out of the movie theater and immediately went on to Spotify to see if the songs were on Spotify yet to play certain ones. It has a lot of cool songs in there. Andrew Garfield is amazing in this movie. 
I didn't know he can even sing. And then he just blows the doors off several scenes in this movie. He is captivating. And for, again, you know, right up there with, uh, you know, Lost Daughter being impressive where it's like, this is a first feature for Lin-Manuel Miranda. And yet he's right in the thick of the awards conversation, whether it's just for Andrew Garfield or whether it gets more at the end of the day is still up in the air. But wow. I absolutely adored this movie, um, and it's something that I could watch over and over, and I listen to the song still on Spotify, uh, even though I haven't done a ton of rewatch on the film this year. But yeah, my number one, Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, yeah, that didn't even make my honorable mention list. Sorry. Like I love Andrew Garfield. Love him to death. Uh, I made it maybe five minutes into this movie, uh, and I, I just couldn't get through it. And listen, anyone who knows me, yeah. it's just, it's a musical thing. Like I just, I'm just not into musicals. Sure. I, I try to stick with this as long as I could. And the 25 minute mark is as far as I made it. Um, All right. So Andrew Garfield couldn't keep me in. Maybe I'll go back and try to rewatch it based, uh, you know, maybe I'll try to just, cause I, I forced, let's be real. I forced myself to watch uh, <laughs> lesser affair than tick, tick, boom. So so I have it in me point. to do it, so I need it. I, yeah, I needed it, but I just couldn't make it through it first time viewing, just you know, just to be honest with you. Hey, that's fine, man. I feel like this movie, even to people who love musicals, isn't maybe their cup of tea. It's not their type of musical. So, th- you know, that's how it's going to shake out. That's fine. But I will say for me, obviously, this is a strong number one, um, and I think the, the big thing now I'm looking at my list, like, you know, it's. I think it's a pretty good mix. I think a lot of the the first four uh, are all in the awards conversation, and they should be. Um, and then throwing in Fear Street, you know, is definitely because I feel like Fear Street is really like, wow, Netflix found something. Like I was impressed. You know, like the award stuff can go up and down, but Netflix has to be like good at certain wheelhouse stuff that they are, are should be good at. And Fear Street, I think, kind of really locked it in. So I'm glad that I kind of like cheated here <laughs> to, to make it a three for one and kind of get that in there. But overall, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with the five. I, you know, year five, a lot of good stuff on there. Um, like I mentioned, good uh, gunpowder milkshake is definitely on my honorable mentions. It was a very close cut. Uh, in terms of that, because I was, I had a lot of fun with that. I had a lot of fun talking to uh, the writer director uh, there as well. So that was like a good highlight for me at a at a lower point in the season as well. Um, I'll start with uh, some honorable mentions as well. Besides that one, um, passing is one that you and I both have. Yep. So I'll I'll let you uh, kind of do your version of that because I did a whole episode on it uh, oh, that man. you were not on. Right. So. Uh, um... Yeah, I just kind of doing some research for this episode when I had some time. I was like, yeah, just looking at some lists and I saw this come on there. I'm like, okay, let me go. Now, this is definitely a movie I would enjoy, like at all. Like it's it's a very yeah. slow moving movie. It's uh, very relatable as far as topic wise now. Um, sure. I like the setting. It was like 1920s Harlem in New York. But what draws you in is the relationship between Tessa Thompson and Ruth out of Nega, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Nega, but how much of an opposite uh, coin they were this movie, and the way it transpired throughout, it felt like you were watching a play. The way Rebecca Hall kind of shot this movie, it's very, very close so. in, yeah, very. So I felt like I was in a play, and then again, it was one of those movies that you thinking like, did she or didn't she at the tail end of that movie? Uh, nothing mm-hmm. again, nothing I would kind of watch again, but it. it, it both actresses drew me with a little bit of what was it, Alexander Skarsgård had like two scenes yeah. in this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he was good, but two female leads that like oof, catapult you in this movie, and the fact that it's black and white, and I still sat through the whole thing, <laughs> double pat in the back for me. Yeah, this one fell out of my top five, even though again honorable mention, very close uh, to because. I think on second watch, it did lose a little bit of luster for me. So it kind of had that kind of drop effect. Now, again, uh, to be fair to them, I usually rewatch some of the award stuff more because I'm like really kind of studying it. So maybe that's less fair uh, to maybe some of these other movies. But um, 
definitely a movie that I, I enjoyed. I was very impressed. Rebecca Hall being a first timer again, just that that's a very solid theme that Netflix had. I know <laughs> I mentioned up to, I was like, maybe they need to stop giving uh, so many movies, to these first time directors, but you know, obviously the solid ones that came out of, you know, prominent film festivals, like how uh, that movie did uh, passing did coming out of Sundance. Uh, that was a no brainer. And I'm glad it's kind of like still kind of kicking around might still have some love for, for Ruth Nega in terms of like maybe an Oscar nomination for best supporting, but we will see how that kind of pans out. But definitely that was uh, one of my favorites that we covered this year. Um, more honorable mentions for me. Uh, the forgotten battle uh, is a movie that we never did the review for. So I'm probably going to keep this minimal cause I might, you know, tuck it for a later <laughs> episode maybe, but wow. Uh, a co uh, a Dutch co-production, I believe in terms of, it might've been a full on Dutch, but it's basically, uh, because it's half focusing on, uh, British soldiers during world war two and half focusing on the German and it's in a Dutch, uh, uh, kind of like very small port town that ends up being a big part of like a showdown in World War II with the Nazis. So it, it's it's a very simple film in a way, but they do a lot with characters that again a foreign film. Uh, characters, I, uh, you know, actors I don't really know outside of like one, um, and they do a great job. It kind of remind me of how unfortunately I don't want to compare them because it's not entirely fair but like how blood red sky was where it was like part you know german right and then part uh because the bad guys were in english so you kind of got both uh didn't really know a lot of the actors involved outside of that one it was dominic purcell i think was the only person we knew um and this one it kind of felt like the same way where it was like all right i'll give it a shot because the guy from harry potter's in this let's try that and so and then i was just i was really impressed this was originally my number five before I cheated the the Fear Street one. It is a really good movie that really shocked me how much I liked it. And I think it's probably in my like top 12 to 15 of the year. Like it's not just high up on my Netflix. It's high up on my, my yearly list too. So that is a movie that I would definitely recommend people check out. Uh, another one that's on my top 25 of the year too is The Hand of God, which this movie... Uh, it's possibly going to be uh, in the final five for uh, Best International Feature at the Oscars. Uh, Paolo Sorrentino is the director of this one. This movie is batshit crazy in all the like the fun ways. Um, it's kind of a coming-of-age film and based off of the, the director Paolo Sorrentino's life. Um, it's really hard to explain even kind of what this movie is outside of saying it's a coming of age but uh let me tell you um it is not only like oddly over the top stereotypical of italian families at least as far as like the italian american stuff even though this is set in italy proper but um this movie has weird like weird admiration like kind of incestual thoughts it has uh soccer it has beating up old people. It has it, it is the most wildest stuff I've seen. And it's also about a young person also wanting to slowly become a filmmaker. So it kind of hits a lot of buttons for me. And after that movie, I kind of was like half shaking my head and half being like, wow, they should make more movies like this that are so batshit that I can't help myself but love it. So Hand of God. Uh, I would say uh, if you uh, are cool with doing uh, foreign features, man, The Hand of God is one of the best uh, foreign features I've seen this year, uh, strictly for entertainment value that you cannot get in any other movie. Um, did you have any other honorable mentions that uh, we didn't yeah, have down? Just real brief. Um, sure. The two that you just talked about on my watch, especially since you were gushing about, especially The Forgotten forgotten battle so that's on mm -hmm. my list but like real real brief i do have to uh i really did enjoy oxygen as a whole okay yeah. uh, i came out like mid-year one of my favorite horror directors alexandre aja mm -hmm. uh, and this is one of those single set kind of movies until you get towards the end now i will admit the last like 15 minutes of this movie i thought it was a big cop-out 
But yeah. up until that part, I the uh, atmosphere that was set in that movie. And I like the lead, Melanie Laurent, in that, in that uh -huh. role. So that was not in my last one. Uh, I spoke about this earlier. When I kicked, 19, when we combined <laughs> all the fair streets, it opened up a spot. And I did go with Kate. In, in one of my honorable mentions. See how okay. different we are? No. <laughs> See how different we are. Uh, and this is a straight up, just a female assassin who has 24 hours to live. And she's, a, it's a, you know, revenge film. It's just right up my alley. She forms yeah. this little attachment with a, a, another character throughout the movie. Woody Harrelson always plays a good, creepy heavy. And I like yeah, Mary does. Elizabeth Winston. I think she could carry a film. And I thought she was, the action was really good. Uh, I rewatched it several times and I liked it the more I watched it, uh, especially her. So those would be my honorable mentions since we combined Fear Street. Yeah, I had a certain level of fun with Kate. I think, uh, you know, it lost its way a little bit. Um, but, you know, uh, definitely a lot of cool action sequences. I think, honestly, maybe one of the, the toughest things for Kate for me was that it just wasn't gunpowder milkshake. Right. Which is interesting because I think I actually like Mary Elizabeth Winstead more than Karen Gillum, but the, the cast around her and what they did with that movie just was so elevated um, that it made maybe Kate suffer in my mind where I was like, yeah, it was fine, but it wasn't this, you know? So, which is that, is that fair? Probably not. Um, uh, but you know, for all its faults, I still did have fun with that movie, especially that was, I believe, Labor Day weekend. Yes. Um, so, you know, that was, again, after a really crappy August, I was like, all right, let's do this. Um, and it got me there some. Uh, it, it satiated me for a while there, I guess. But, yeah, Kate, definitely um, something that I know a lot of people enjoy more than me. So, again, could just be me and my biases towards <laughs> Gunpowder Milkshake. But. I think, you know, it really colors the year. I, I th Some people might say, you know, where are some other movies? I know that we, uh, I did a Twitter poll, um, and in that Twitter poll, uh, Mitchells versus the Machines won that poll. Um, most people can kind of, like, agree on that one. Power of the Dog came in second on that poll. Fear Street came in third. I know a lot of people had some love for Don't Look Up. Um, they also had some love for, for bad trip, which is a movie that was, you know, it's, it doesn't make it on my, my list, but you know, it definitely has some very funny moments. Uh, and, and that was a, a big, uh, shining spot for me because I got to, uh, speak to, uh, Michaela Conlon, uh, who is from bones and from bad trip and a bunch of other projects, uh, for all mankind. If anyone watches that on Apple, she's on that right now. Um, so Definitely a lot of a lot of good stuff this year. But again, when you're volume shooting, it shouldn't be that hard to maybe crack a, a good top ten uh, out of that. But when I tell you, obviously, that I watched like seventy <laughs> Netflix originals, you know, you start going, "Well, I was hoping for at least half of them <laughs> to be good." Yeah, so I didn't really do like a, a left and right like yes or no you know to see what how many were good like on a percentage basis but again this is kind of cheating though too when you're eliminating like four or five <laughs> good films uh that were part of last year's oscars conversation or or at least award season conversation that came out in the beginning of 2021 so a very odd year very covid affected year but definitely a year that has a lot of standouts, and there's multiple movies, probably around six or seven, uh, especially a lot of the ones that we mentioned. Definitely push forward in terms of the awards conversation, so we'll be talking about these movies a lot for the next couple months before the Oscars happen at the end of March. Any uh, parting words, Shane, before we get on out of here? Uh, no, other than thank you again for having me on the show. I always enjoy it, and I knew we'd be in and around playing in the same pool, but our list would be would be different enough where it'd make this episode uh, uh fun to talk about uh so yeah again, sure. just appreciate you having me on i look forward to uh what netflix has to bring for 2022 and we'll we'll just go from there and we'll have you back on next month for tall girl too right oh so absolutely. we can talk about 
It's the closest thing I can think of. It's a very soft couple months here. Um, I believe uh, the next big one that I'm looking forward to is uh, Munich that comes out in a couple of weeks. Another war movie that's a foreign uh, war movie. So I'm hoping maybe to uh, maybe go deeper on Forgotten Battle on that episode and then get Munich in there. But that's like the closest thing I could see. Unless you want to hang out uh, for the Alyssa Milano movie next week uh it comes out on friday it's uh she's doing like a kind of a crime romance Ooh, type thing I like Alyssa milano you know but like you said you don't do shows i'm looking for ozark season four which comes out january 21st for all you people listening so that's the one thing i'm looking forward to this month is ozark hey if netflix forces my hand buddy and they start <laughs> scaling back on the movies i will have you back on to talk about uh season four of cobra kai because i'm right in the thick of uh catching up on that show right now so we could do that but definitely glad to have you on man great list great hang that's what we do here i appreciate you coming on uh tell the folks what you got coming up for uh media mosh i know you're just getting back into the swing of things i I am i am so thank you for uh for giving me a couple seconds here yes it's been about six months since my last episode and sometimes life just happens but I have a episode coming out this week where I will be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. And then I will talk about the Hawkeye series and then give you my top uh, Marvel shows on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if I can say that on your show, but yeah, I'll be talking about that <laughs> along with Spider-Man No Way Home. And then later this month, I'm going to have a guest on. We're going to talk about the, the Mike Flanagan show, Midnight Mass, which I finally go around nice. to watch. So that's what I have coming up. You can find me on the Apple Podcast Store. Excellent. Thanks again, man, and we'll talk to you soon. We'll do this again real soon. Thank you.